Has the Me Too movement helped inspire men to action in the workplace? Well, evidence reveals it has instead caused men to avoid women entirely, making a bad situation worse. But it doesn't have to be that way as we explore how men can become better allies to women. The future of work isn't about shareholder value, technology, metrics, or automation. It's about being human and putting people first through actionable love. Welcome to the Love in Action podcast, where we hold deep conversations with extraordinary people to help you grow as a leader and expand your business. Here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome to episode 82 of the Love in Action podcast, where we help make your business and workplace be both good for people and for profits. You know, I just have to say that that part of being a podcast host with a global following is that, you know, I get a lot of books sent to me all the time. You know, most of them, I'm just being honest here, are just not a fit for the show and for the message that we're trying to convey to the world. And then once in a while, a book comes across my desk that is so spot on with our theme and mission that I can't get the authors fast enough to get on the show. One of those books has just been published by Harvard Business Review Press. It's called Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. So here's what I know since the, you know, hashtag Me Too movement. This may be true for some of you male listeners listening out there right now. Okay, this movement, from my standpoint, hasn't exactly inspired every man to action inside their own their organizations. In fact, evidence reveals it has instead increased the likelihood of men avoiding women entirely, making a bad situation even worse. But here's the good news. There's a brand of good men out there, good guys. And if I may include myself in that bunch, who are eager to learn how to be an ally for women in the workplace, but we we just don't know what to do or even how to get started. So this book, Good Guys, gives us the latest social science research and evidence-based practices to help us men on our journey. Also, it's going to uncover some of the biggest obstacles that men face that keeps us from becoming better allies to not only women, in the workplace, but also to someone of, you know, a different race or sexual orientation or background. And we're going to cover all that in this episode. But let me give you a little bit of a background of the authors. The distinguished authors of Good Guys are Drs. David Smith and Brad Johnson. David Smith is a professor of sociology in the National Security Affairs Department at the U.S. Naval War College. His research focuses on gender, work, and family issues. He is the co-author of Athena Rising, How and Why Men Should Mentor Women. Brad Johnson is a professor of psychology in the Department of Leadership, Ethics, and Law at the U.S. Naval Academy. And he also teaches at Johns Hopkins University. He's the author of 13 books, including the aforementioned Athena Rising. And I'm privileged to have both of them join us now. Gentlemen, welcome to the Love and Action podcast. Great to be here, Marcel. Thank you. Thanks, Marcel, for including us. 
Yeah, this is going to be fun. We're talking offline. That uh, I want this to be obviously educational. It's a very important topic, but we also want it to be fun. So we start with a gratitude moment. And that is, guys, what makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days? I'll start with Brad. Yeah, well, I mean, one thing that makes me smile is having a team or a constellation of women around me, Marcel, that trust me enough to give me good feedback. And, you know, especially when I step in it or say the wrong thing or get something wrong related to this gender conversation, they'll pull me aside and say, Brad, nah, nah, you, you got some learning to do here. And I, I so appreciate their willingness to do that. That's good. How about you, David? Yeah. And along the same vein, I think, I think as collaborators, I, one of the things that makes me smile every day is thinking about some of the incredible women that we get to collaborate with and in, in both our research and our writing and the speaking and work that we get to do every day. Because again, I think as allies, it's critical that, you know, we're partnered with women to do this work, right? It's not men rescuing, it's, it's us doing it together. And without these incredible women to do this work with, you know, it would be much, much harder. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. And so I want to get into, maybe there's a backdrop here to how you guys came to write this book. So is there a story about what, what led you both to say, okay, it's time to write this? And specifically, you know, why now? Yeah, there's a, there's a story there. And I tried to give you the, the shorter version of it. But, but Brad and I taught together for about eight years at the Naval Academy. And as you heard, I'm a sociologist, Brad's a psychologist. And you know, all of my work focuses on gender work and family. Brad's has been on mentoring relationships. And we came together, about, you know, about seven years ago and with the idea and a conversation that, wow, you know, as guys, we, we often find that men don't engage or don't see it as part of their, you know, their brand of leadership, that they need to be engaged in creating gender equity and removing some of the challenges in there that, that women face in the workplace. You know, for example, we often hear about women's initiatives being just that, their gender issues or women's leadership initiative, women's leadership conference. And as a guy, I often look at that and check out and go, you know, that's not me. You know, what, what's my role there? And so, but the problem is that if guys were not involved in that, then we're, again, it's hard for women to, to, to really make difference, right, by themselves. Because we're often, you know, we're the majority in a lot of, again, professions and industries out there, we're often more likely to be in key leadership positions of influence. And so you need men involved in this. And so that led us to write our first book, Athena Rising in 2016. And it's interesting is we were busy out there talking about the book. 2017, as you mentioned, was when Me Too went widespread. And Brad and I got pulled into more broader conversations outside of mentoring, sponsoring of women to more about, hey, how do guys at any level of an organization show up as an ally in the workplace? What does that look like? How can we how can we get more guys engaged in this? And so Brad and I set out to do that work and that research and that led to, you know, our, our new book, Good Guys. Yeah, yeah. For description's sake then, what is an ally and what is allyship? Because I want to get into how men can become good allies, but let's talk about what does that mean exactly? Yeah. Such a great question, Marcel. So in, in the research we did for Good Guys, it became very clear early on as we began to sort all the different elements we heard from women and men that, that were nominated as allies, what does this look like behaviorally? And it turned out there were sort of two big categories of allyship. The first one is showing up interpersonally for your female colleagues, right? It's how I hold myself accountable to be a guy in the workplace that women can count on. I'm a good colleague. I'm a good collaborator. I'm somebody who interpersonally they can trust. 
that's very often the easy part, unfortunately. Bad news for guys listening. That's the easy part. The hard part is the public systemic allyship, right? And so we cluster there all of these things about calling things out that are not okay, disrupting mm-hmm. systems. When something untoward gets said in a meeting, are you going to be the guy who disrupts that as you should be? Are you going to break the bystander paralysis? Are you going to notice policies that are disadvantaging women and then advocate that those get changed? That's the harder part, but it's just as important. So, you know, interpersonal, how do you show up? And the public systemic, how do you disrupt things? Yeah, yeah. You touched on some of the the things that we're going to talk about later, which is the daily interactions that we should be having with women at work. Now, before we get there, though, there are so many obstacles to get in the way of of men becoming good allies. So let's talk about, I wish we had two hours, but let's talk about some of the most common ones that get in the way. Yeah, I'll, I'll start this off and Brad, I'll let you finish it up. But I think, you know, one of the ones we talk about in the book in particular is this idea there's an allyship gap. And this is really around the idea that, you know, again, most men, believe it or not, they're, they want to be allies. They, they believe in gender equity and they want that for their, for the important women in their lives and, and their colleagues at work. And, so most guys believe that, and they think that they're doing the work for the most part, right? This belief that they are doing it. But there's an aspiration gap here in the terms of, you know, just because you believe it doesn't mean you're actually doing anything, the action aligning with that. And so we find that there's a gap in, in how we're actually do, achieving this. And sometimes it's because we don't see the problem. And so it's hard to fix what you can't see. And, and it, it's just, this requires us to, again, develop some awareness so that we can call it out and then we can disrupt it and see you know, what we can do about it at that point. And then in, in, in other cases, I think there, there are some other perceptions and things that are challenges out there. And you, you mentioned Me Too. And, and of course, Me Too has certainly been one of the challenges that we've dealt with. I'll let, I'll let Brad touch on that a little more. Yeah. So Me Too, Marcel, you've been seeing all the research come out of Bloomberg and Lean In showing that 60% of men now in corporate America say they're less comfortable having a mentoring conversation or a coffee meeting with a woman in the workplace. A lot of false narratives about Me Too, mostly perpetuated by men, that women are now dangerous, right, or scary to talk to in the workplace. And, And there's not a shred of evidence to support that. And I think, you know, allies have got to push back on that false narrative that women are somehow, you know, dangerous to interact with. So guys need to push back on this. There are some other things, though. You know, guys have biases, right, that are implicit. I I see women, but maybe I'm not seeing them as future leaders. I'm not pushing them forward. I see her as a ticking time bomb of maternity, right? Any minute she might have a baby. So she's not a good investment. If that kind of stuff is going on internally, I I may not be sponsoring and mentoring women. And then, you know, let's be honest, a lot of guys have anxiety about interacting with women and showing up as allies because they don't know what to do. And as you know, men hate not knowing what to do. We, we, We want a playbook. And if I'm not sure what to do and I'm afraid of making a mistake, I just stay on the sidelines. I I just don't engage. So we find that sometimes anxiety can keep guys on the sidelines. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Okay. So you introduce a term, you know, we're familiar in the business world with EQ, right? Emotional intelligence. Well, you have a term called gender intelligence, GQ, not to be confused with the magazine title by the same name. But so uh, how do we increase our GQ? What is there a good first step to doing that? Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think there's a lot of ways here we can talk about real quick that 
again, it takes some self-education, you know, so reading, so start by reading good guys, but there's a lot of other great <laughs> books and, and articles out there. There's great videos, there's conferences, there's webinars, there's so much out there today at our fingertips. We just have to access it, go out there and, and, and read it, make sense of it. And then we can start to formulate some questions about what that looks like. I think uh, most companies today have, have moved on to some sort of a employee resource group or business resource group, whatever you call it in your company. And there's often one there for women. And, and so this is a great place that if you can, you can attend their, their educational events or their other programming where you can go listen in, right? And so we have to begin to develop a sense of awareness of how other people might experience the workplace different from us. And that takes one, a lot of humility for us as guys. And again, that means that, okay, well, maybe I don't know something. I don't know how other people experience it. So I've got to approach it with that sense of humility that, hey, I haven't walked a mile in your shoes. And so it may be different. And the same thing, you know, women like men, they're not a monolith, right? We're, we're not all the same as guys and women aren't all the same either. And so we have to remember again that with that humility comes a little bit of understanding that not all women's experiences are the same. So maybe one of your your female colleagues shares a uh, an experience with you, but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's equates to all women, right? And so you should you know talk to other other people and see how that works out. Women of color, for example, very different experiences often than than white women, and so we need to think about that about how that might be a little bit different for them. And then I think. First and foremost is you have to begin to develop the trust in these close relationships with your female colleagues so that you can have some of these really challenging conversations. But I think, you know, initiating that conversation could be kind of, again, anxiety producing, as Brad mentioned before. Guys are a little worried about it. So provide some context. It's like, hey, I, you know, I've been reading this book and I'm trying to figure out, you know, how can I be a better ally for, for other people in the organization, including women? You know, so if there was one thing, I could do better, what would it be? What was one thing I could do more of this week, you know, that would make your experiences or other women's experiences in the organization better? Yeah. Brad, can you add, any, add anything to that? How do we sharpen our gender intelligence? Yeah. Well, one other one that comes to mind is what Dave and I call increasing your essay or your situational awareness. And I think this is where we men, beyond all the self-educating and seeking feedback from women that we should be doing that Dave was talking about, I can also just become more alert and sensitive to what's going on in the environment. So let's take a meeting. I, I can look around the next meeting and ask myself, who, who is here and who's not here? Who should be here and who didn't get invited? And I want to be alert to that. If we're talking about certain clients or certain projects and the woman who came up with this or the woman whose clients we're talking about is not in the room, I might say, wait a minute, why are we talking about this when Shonda's not even here? We're missing something. I can, I can look and see who's uncomfortable, right? Who has a seat at the table? Who's getting to talk all the time? Who's getting interrupted? These are things that we men just, it goes over our head because we often have privilege. People look at us first. They expect us to talk. We're not looking at who's getting excluded. And that's part of me working on my situational awareness. Yeah, yeah. Gentlemen, I love ally rule number one. You don't get to pass go on the ally journey until you intentionally and consistently step up as an ally where? At, at home. home. Talk about the importance of that. Yeah, I'll lead off. And Dave, Dave and I have so many things related to this that are, I think are important we can cover quickly. But men... Got to be aware of the data here. The data is very clear that even if you're partnered with a woman 
and you both are working full time and you have kids, she is on average doing twice as much domestic work as you are. She's doing twice as much of the childcare. During the pandemic, she's doing twice as much of the school, homeschooling. We men often assume we're doing kind of equal partnership related to work at home. We're not. The data is really clear. So guys, you can't throw on your ally cape at work and say, hey, ladies, I'm here as an ally when you're not really partnering at home, because we're never going to level the playing field at work unless we start at home. So start by doing the dishes, start by sharing completely in the domestic work and childcare. And we're not talking about just the, you know, the chores. I'm talking about all the cognitive and emotional labor that goes with this, like keeping lists and planning outings and thinking about what's coming up next for the family that I can sort of carry the burden on planning. Men often don't engage in that the way our our partners do if we're partnered with women. And if you're not sure, by the way, if you're doing this, ask your partner for an audit, right? Go home tonight and say, hey, am I really doing my share? Am I really helping you? or collaborating the way I should be at home. And then don't get defensive when you get the feedback. It may not be what you were expecting to hear. But other parts of this, Dave? Yeah, and I think two pieces in particular is, is in our role as fathers, as dads out there, that for our, for our children, it's really important too. So one, for our sons, we're role modeling what, what these you know, broader forms, more inclusive forms of gender roles look like at work and, and at home. And so when our sons see that, they see us being all unequal allies, again, they they form those same attitudes and beliefs, and they take that with them to the workplace, again, forcing and creating change at work. And for our daughters, really important here, because again, when our daughters see us doing this work equally with, with our partners at home, they're more likely to persist and reach their career aspirations or career goals and dreams. And they're more likely to go into non-traditional professions out there in industries like, like tech and finance and law out there. The last part I think that we ought to remember is that, as Brad said, we can't just sling on our ally cape at work and go, oh, I'm an ally. You know, again, your female colleagues will see that. And so we have to role model this. That means, hey, when often as guys, when we have a, uh, a caregiving responsibility or something we do at home, we kind of slink out the back door. It's really hush, hush, quiet. I'm, you know, nobody even realizes you've left. No, we got to leave loudly. Make sure everybody knows you're leaving, why you're leaving, because why? Because it makes it more normal, makes it more accepting to junior men who, who are looking to you as a senior guy in the office, as well as for our female colleagues, right? We're trying to normalize caregiving responsibilities in particular because we all have them. It's just a matter whether we acknowledge and we talk about them in that way. And the same thing goes, taking paid sick leave when the kids are sick, you need to do your 50% of that, not just always put that on, on your partner. And, and if you have uh, parental leave and you have a newborn, you've been blessed with that, take it and then be, again, be very public about the fact in your, maybe your out of office email reply that, hey, I'm off on parental leave. I'll be gone for the next month. I uh, look forward to coming back after I've spent time with, you know, raising my new child. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Gentlemen, I want to get into what I feel is the most important part of this conversation, how we as men can improve our daily interactions with women at work. And you offer countless tips that really will raise, well, it raised my awareness, first of all, about the do's and the don'ts, because I was in the corporate grind for a good part of 20 years, especially the don'ts. So we're going to dive into that topic, which I feel is very important after this short message, don't go anywhere. Hey, Love and Action Nation, it's Marcel here to tell you that I have just launched a virtual leadership development course. It's called 
from boss to leader. It's not just a course, but a real dynamic experiential journey. You're going to get videos plus live Q&A calls, a private Facebook community, and lots of support, action items, exercises, and tools to help you grow as a leader. And now I'm inviting you to participate as a beta group member. Since I'm testing this out, the beta group gets up to 60% off the normal price. And as a beta group member, you also get lifetime access to the final release of the course. If you're a manager or leader with people reporting to you and you want to learn more about this unique experience, text me right now at this number, 423-509-8415 and include the words interested in the beta group. Okay, we're back. So I'm excited to dive into this. You offer 10 really important strategies for how allies should interact with women at work. Let's just cycle through a few that you guys believe are most important for discussion. Yeah, I'll, I'll dive right in. Yeah, and Dave, jump right in here. Yep. But you know, some of my favorite, Marcel, are listen generously. I cannot tell you how many women we interviewed for these books who said, dudes, could you just learn how to listen? <laughs> uh, apparently, apparently, we guys are not very good at this inherently, and we have an extra large gene for fixing things. And, and women often said, hey, I don't need to be fixed, and I don't need you to solve my problem for me. What I'm coming to you for is generous listening. Could you be a sounding board? Could you, you know, give me authentic time and space to sound things out? We men can really be better colleagues and allies if we'll practice that. Don't make assumptions about her, right? Too often, I think we men assume, oh, she's a mom, therefore, you know, she wouldn't want this next promotion, or I'm not going to recommend her for blank, or, you know, she wouldn't possibly want to consider this opportunity. So I got to avoid the assumptions. I'm going to assume she's competent, and I'm going to stop assuming right there, and I'm going to ask her, you know, in a perfect world, what would you be doing? What would your career dream look like? I I want to take the time to discern that so I can be a really more effective ally and colleague. And last one for me is what Dave and I call decentering. Can you step out of the, the spotlight? Can you not always as a guy speak first, assume that you know, you're going to take center stage on a project or be the chair of a committee? If there's an invitation for someone to speak somewhere, do you have to always say yes, or could you say, who else would be great to send to this event and speak for our company? I, as a guy, have the privilege to step out of the spotlight because it's always on me for the most part. So I get this nice opportunity to hand the mic off to other talented people, including women. And I think if we men would do that more, require some real humility, we would really be spreading opportunity around the workplace in a way that would make a difference for our female colleagues. Speaking yeah. of spreading, David, I hope you will mention this because this made me laugh because when I read it, it, it's called Check Your Spread. I <laughs> immediately pointed the finger right back at me. You know how many times I do that without even knowing that I do it. But anyway, I'll let you take over. Yeah. So, you know, one in particular is we think about I always think about meetings because, you know, we've become such in our organization, such meeting focused groups out there and we work in teams. And so meetings are one of these kind of crazy places where all sorts of things happen, group dynamics happen. And, and you're, you were speaking to the spread in particular, 
but space, right? Space gets measured in so many different ways. It could be physical space. So yeah, when you come into a meeting and, and you see the guy that's he's just he's all spread out across the table and he's taken up like three times the kind of type of space that women are. We often look at your female colleagues, look at them once in a while. They're often sitting there just trying to self-pretzel themselves into the, <laughs> the smallest area possible. And it doesn't just happen in meetings and in the physical workplace. It happens in many other places as well. But and it's not just physical space. It's it's also the airtime, right? So the, the amount of time that you know you listen in a meeting, and women get to speak versus when men are speaking. And and again, this happens at every level. There's great research, even at the Supreme Court, that the female Supreme Court justices don't get the same kind of airtime that their their male colleagues get. Same thing with interruptions. How often do women get interrupted? Yes, three times as much as men do. And same mm. thing, all the way to the most senior levels. Right. So it's not something that's just happening, you know, in some little informal team. It happens all over the place. The other thing I think is really key here is in making sure when you look, when you go into that meeting, look around and see who's there and who's not, who got excluded, you know, whether it was, you know, on purpose or not, but who, who make sure she's included and not just in the formal meetings, but often we as guys, we get together in informal settings, especially, you know, pre pandemic where we were doing a lot more socializing and, Sometimes that's sports related. It could be all sorts of things after hours, but you know, that's where all the incredible information gets spread. And we, we, we share with each other insider knowledge on different things that are how things work in the company, how to get ahead. Hey, oh, this, hey, did you hear about this great opportunity that's coming up? We as guys, we share that amongst each other, but the women aren't there typically. And it happens because it's in spaces or we don't think to include them because often women's are like, you know, if you'd asked, I'd, I'd have loved to gone, but often we just don't think about doing that. Mm. Gentlemen, I've been uh, part of organizations where the rumor mill is rampant and gossip is everywhere about, you know, things like, oh, who's dating who and who's sleeping with who, even when those things aren't true. I guess that's why it's called rumors, right? I mean, not all rumors are true. And I've seen that ruin work relationships and destroy trust between coworkers of opposite gender. So how can allies handle rumors effectively, especially if it involves them and a female colleague. Yeah, I, this is such an important one, Marcel. And, and I got to tell you, far too many men get this one wrong and they, they shoot themselves in the foot and create rumors. It's almost amazing. So, you know, that guy who has a close female colleague and starts referring to her as his work wife. Dude, what are you thinking? You know, of course, of course you're going to create rumors. You know, whenever she walks in the room, you smile like a high schooler and give her a hug. No, probably not appropriate. You Men are creating situations that I think uh, spread gossip. One of the biggest ones is if you're a man who never mentors or sponsors a junior woman or, or any women, and then suddenly you start spending a ton of time only with one woman uh, all the time, and you're meeting in places after hours that raise suspicion, you have just shot yourself in the foot again. Why are you doing that? Make this part of your brand, right? If you want to be a real ally in the workplace, mentor and sponsor lots of men and women. If you're that guy who is just known to be egalitarian, you sort of spread your social capital around men and women, and you do this very transparently, so there's no secrecy. I'm going to put my meeting with her right on my calendar and be very clear about what we're talking about. I'm not hiding anything you are probably not going to have to worry about rumors, but you have to make this part of your, your broad brand as a male in the workplace. Yeah. Yeah. And we I often think- see guys react to this in a really, really bad way. And, and that is when they, 
sometimes they get that sense that, oh, or they hear a rumor and then they don't know what to do about it. So what do they do? They, they suddenly just cut off the relationship period with that woman, whether it was a mentoring, sponsoring, just a colleague, collaborative relationship, they just cut it off. And suddenly she's wondering, well, what did I do? What happened here? What went wrong? And, and again, it leaves, leaves a bad taste in everybody's mouth. And then people start to go, oh, so he, he really must have been up to something there. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about, you dedicate this whole chapter to watchdog skills, but let's back up and talk about, okay, what are we talking about here? Watchdog. And then how do we put watchdog skills into practice as allies? Yeah, that's a great question. And we spend a lot of time with this because I think in particular, at some point, we get to the point where if we're going to disrupt what's going on, when we see something, now we've developed that awareness, we see something, and now we got to say something and do something with that. Because that's what, again, the, the best form of allyship has that public action to it. And, it. and it's what really creates the change in the organization too. So Brad and I know, you know, through the research that, again, bystander paralysis is a real thing. So, you know, you're in that meeting and somebody says something that's biased or it's a little, it's a, it's a joke that was offensive to somebody or whatever the case is. And everybody's just kind of looking around at each other. And if nobody says something within the first two or three seconds, nobody's probably going to say anything, right? Because we know that that that's the point where the paralysis sets in, but it just takes that one person to stand up to say something at that very moment. It doesn't mean they don't have to do anything. They don't have to be go to DEFCON 5 or blow up or anything like that. It can just be, Brad and I are fond of using, we do this with a, you know, kind of coaching and workshops is just say, ouch. And, and the beauty of ouches and the ouch technique is that now everybody's going to come look at you going, what, what was that? What did, what did he said? Ouch. What is that? And it gives you about two or three seconds to think about, all right, so now what am I going to do? What am I really going to say? And that's where you get a chance to go, hmm, okay, I'm going to say, you know, Brad, that really didn't land right with me. Or, you know, I really found that offensive. And, you know, that's not who we are in our company. That doesn't align with, that's not really part of our values here and what we are. So I, I really appreciate it if you just don't do that again. Don't say that again. Or that's just not funny <laughs> at all. But in any case, what you can't do is go, hey, you can't say that because, because Shonda's over here in the room. That's not okay. Right? No, you got to own that as an ally. You you have to step up and go. Nope, it's not okay with me. This is a, this is about this is offensive to me. It's not right with me because it again harms other people. Whatever the case might be, but you can't blame that on women because women are in the other room or in the room with you. the The last part of this is that it's really hard when you see these things and you're in a space where it's just us dudes, right? And we do find this still today, believe it or not, that we're in a room with just guys and that guy says something again, thinking that everybody's okay with it, or maybe he doesn't even realize what he said. And we all have this, believe it or not, the research shows we have this, we assume we have this high level of acceptance of kind of biased or sexist language or behavior. And the reality is that no, most men don't have that. We just make this assumption, right? That we're all kind of conforming to what we think the beliefs are. And it just, again, takes that one guy to say something and then everybody else will be like, oh, yeah, you know, I didn't find that funny either. Or no, that's, that's not cool. You shouldn't say that or you shouldn't do that. And here's why. But it just takes that one person stepping up to do that. Yeah, yeah. Okay, gentlemen, I want to bring this full circle because I can almost sense the skeptics listening going, you know what? This is business. We're all about getting results here. And women have to, they, they have to be responsible for their own emotions. And men, we're just here to do the work and get stuff done. So speak to the business case. What is the business case here? Yeah. 
The business case is substantial at this point, Marcel. I mean, it's almost, there's so much research on this now that it's almost not even a conversation. I mean, back to self-education, there is so much research that is available to men and, and men in leadership who are really interested in how gender diversity, gender balance, gender inclusion affects the bottom line. And at this point, it is so clear that the more you have gender balance all the way up into the C-suite and into your board of directors, those companies make more money, they have more mission success, they're more creative, they're more geared for the long term, they retain more of the junior talent, they work so hard to recruit, people enjoy the work environment more, there's stronger sense of organizational commitment. So at this point, it is so clear how diversity affects the workplace and the mission achievement that, you know, for message for men, if you're not doing this, if you're not tying this to your business case right now, if, if you're not pursuing real gender inclusion all the way through the chain of command, you're missing out. You're missing out financially. Mm-hmm. Well, you may have answered a question already, either one of you, but if I'm the CEO and I buy into this, I want my workplace to be more diverse, more inclusive, and have more allies. What, from a strategy level, what's the first step? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and we often get also with that, the, do I start, you know, do I start with the CEO? Do I start with the middle management? Do I start kind of grassroots? With HR? Yeah. yeah, or HR. And the answer is yes, it's all the above. But from a CEO's perspective, I think this is an important conversation because one, senior leaders, obviously influential to like frontline managers and them, what they're going to prioritize in their work every day. If a CEO can't talk about something like gender or race or diversity, they're not comfortable with it, it's hard to communicate that. And you don't get that messaging down to, again, the people in the frontline middle management that are, again, they're the ones doing the job. They're down there on the, on the floor of the shop every day, getting the work done, and they're not going to prioritize it either. So CEOs have to get comfortable talking about it. And the first thing they need to do is find their own personal connection to why is this important to me personally? Be able to talk about that, share that, and then connect it to the business. How does that How does that personal connection connect into the business outcome? Because again, if you can't connect it to the business, your middle managers are not going to look at it and go, well, why is that important to me? That's great. That was a great personal story. But how does that connect to the business? And, and I think CEOs have got to become more comfortable and clear in their messaging about how they do that. The other part is they have to be very transparent. I think, again, transparency in the organization is going to help to develop trust. As you think about it, if, if diversity becomes this kind of a hush-hush, dirty little secret out there that we, we don't talk about you know, in front of everybody, that doesn't engender trust in your organization and your employees. And so you have to be transparent about what we're doing, why we're doing it, why it's important to the business, and then how well we're doing at the initiative. Measure your progress. Show it. Talk about it. And if you're not doing well, that's okay. Hey, here's what we're working on to improve Again, developing that internal trust in your organization is so critical. It's also externally important because your investors, if you're public about it and you're transparent publicly about it, your investors are watching that. Your potential future employees are all watching too because, again, the research shows that women and and racial minorities in particular are looking at companies today going, hmm, how are they talking about diversity inclusion? How are they doing? What kind of programs do they have? Are they really putting, are they really walking the talk out there? Yeah. Yeah. Brad, would you add anything to that? No, I'd love that. And the, the other piece of it is don't forget the grassroots folks, right? You know, we, we wrote this book called Good Guys. And the reason we did that is there are so many men 
interested in this, their heart's in the right place, they don't know where to begin. And we find companies on the front lines right now, like PNC Bank is a great example, developing these groups for male allies within the company. And these are, these are often junior men, right, who just want to be better allies for women in the workplace. And they're getting together every month and they're talking and they're, they're kind of trying to up their ally skill set. And they're, they're giving each other assignments, you know, go talk to at least one woman this week and ask her to share something about her experience in the workplace that you didn't know uh, that women are confronting. And building that, that grassroots level of male allies in your company, I think is something we don't want to forget. We want the CEO to be talking about it loudly, and then we want all the junior good guys to have a place to get better and, and to sort of help each other get equipped. Mm. Yeah, that John sharing and Peter. learning is so important. Yes, absolutely. So we end our episodes, unfortunately, we have to end this one too, with one final question. And really, it's a takeaway question. So I'm going to ask both of you to give us that one thing, that one final important takeaway that you'd like to close us with. And I'll start with Brad. Yeah. So I, this may sound like an odd thing to say, but read good guys. And, and I hope one of the things you get excited about is I could be better every day. But message to men, don't call yourself an ally. Go do the work, get better, you know, try and express better allyship in your behavior every day. Let women call you an ally. You know, I think that's a nice experience when you feel that, but let other people decide if you're an ally to them. Don't presume that. Mm. I think one quick thing that we can all do right now is we can just take an inventory of our networks. And, I, and I'm talking about your mentoring networks of who you mentor, who you're mentored by, who you're sponsored by, who you're sponsoring. Think about your, your friend networks, your peers, your colleagues, and look at that and say, does everybody in that look like me? And if that's the answer, again, start thinking about why is that? And why don't I have other people who don't look like me? And what am I missing, right? And for myself, because again, I think we as men forget that we have a lot to learn and we have a lot to gain. There's benefits here by being a better ally, because again, we're going to have access to different kinds of information. We're going to diversify our networks, both internal and external with the organization. And the research shows that we become better interpersonal relationships and we have higher EQ and empathy. Mm. Gentlemen, I can say that I was positively blessed by this interaction, and I know that so many more people will be as well. Can't wait to get this out there. So I want to thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Great you, to Marcel. Thank you. And if people want to connect with you and find, get resources and just do all that stuff, uh, share with us where they can do that. Yeah, certainly. So you can look, you can find us on our website, Workplace Allies, all one, all one string, workplaceallies.com. And you can find more about the work that we're doing, what we're writing and where we're speaking and everything. You can also, uh, again, find our book, Good Guys and Athena Rising, both on through HBR Press. And they're both available on Amazon or your favorite local bookstore. The book, once again, is called Good Guys, How Men Can Be Better Allies for Women in the Workplace. My special thanks to David Smith and Brad Johnson for, for stopping by with such timely and crucial advice. And thank you for joining us and spreading the love and action movement globally. We would love it if you could share this very important episode with your friends. And if you or your company would like to sponsor episodes of the Love and Action podcast, let's talk. Reach me on my website, marcelschwantes.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. 
Join me next week as I sit down with David McKeon to discuss his new book, The Self-Evolved Leader. Until then, remember, the future of leadership is love in action. Try it and be convinced. Thanks for joining us on the Love in Action podcast. If you enjoyed this show and want to help get the word out, make sure to subscribe and leave a review.